the United States of America, home of the brave. A place that is filled with different cultures, diversity, beautiful scenery, a place I call home. But one thing many people may not know about the USA is the artisans, craftsmen, and women, photographers, musicians, creatives, makers of all sorts that come with this beautiful country. Many people tend to buy products from major online retailers that they forget about the make that is happening right here in America. From the Industrial Revolution and even prior to that time period, America has continued to build its economy through makers, and there are thousands of them. America has makers that forge steel to make knives and axes, sew skirts, hats, and handbags with materials of all sorts, paint and capture visuals that are forever in your home and carried in your heart, share stories through music and writings, make special treats and refreshing beverages, and much more. Join me through the journey through the lives of makers across our country to hear how they get down with their craft. I'm Kristen Vermeule, and this is Makers of the USA. Welcome to the Makers of the USA main series. Throughout the month of September, I will be sharing stories of artisans that are a part of the Big Reveal project that is led by the Maine Mineral and Gem Museum. If you'd like to hear more about this project, please tune in to the episode with Maggie Krongi, where we talk about the museum and more details about the Big Find and Big Reveal project and the big event happening October 8th. On this episode, I chat with Naomi Sarna master gem carver, and jewelry artist based out of New York, and soon will be moving to California. Before I jump right into telling you about Naomi, I wanted to share this quote from Naomi that I found on her website that really spoke to me. Growing up, I had a sense of being able to do almost anything as long as I could do it with my hands. Now that is my type of maker. Naomi grew up around the world's greatest mineral mines in Butte, Montana, where minerals, gems, and fossils were a part of her everyday life. She told me about her early memories being in her grandfather's store where miners came to shop and learning to do many types of handwork. Sarna left Montana and attended the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts in Philadelphia, where she studied sculpture and the art of fabric draping. After careers as a caterer, psychoanalyst, and medical hypnotist, Sarna went back to her roots. She studied gemstone faceting, which taught her about light reflection and gemstones and metalsmithing. Sarna soon turned to the carving of gemstones and creating masterful jewelry showcasing her carvings. To find the best material to carve, Sarna has traveled around the world from Tanzania to Madagascar to Arkansas, visiting mines and hand-selecting the rough gems that she turns into treasured objects. She also finds gem material when she visits the gem fairs in Tucson, Arizona, where the world's most important gem dealers gather annually. What I find fascinating about Naomi's work is that she gravitates towards stones that have inclusions rather than a clean look. She uses them as a roadmap to guide her as she carves the stone. Central to her work is the play of light and shadow, movement, texture, and the use of bold color combinations. According to Sarna, carving gemstones is a relatively simple process using a stationary arbor. With the Big Reveal project, Sarna was quite surprised at what kind of historic gems she received, and it was quite a challenge to work with, but she crafted something beautiful. But I don't want to spoil the fun. I want you to listen to the interview. Now, 
Again, before we get into this interview, I wanted to be fully transparent to say I mentioned Maine Gem and Mineral Museum a ton throughout the series, and the museum is actually called Maine Mineral and Gem Museum. I guess it flows off my tongue better, but wanted to make sure all listeners know it's Maine Mineral and Gem Museum. Now let's get to it. Let's talk about craft, the craft of gem carving and jewelry with Naomi Sarna. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the Makers of Maine series of the Makers of the USA podcast. This is a part of a project that I'm working on with the Maine Gem and Mineral Museum here in Maine. That's where I'm from. And it is the Big Reveal Project. And I am talking to Naomi today. Thank you, Naomi, for being on the podcast. I cannot wait to learn more about you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be on the podcast. I love to tell people about what I do and hopefully inspire them to do something artistic of their own. (laughs) I love hearing that. That's what this podcast is all about. Now, the first question I typically start off with is, what is your craft and what inspired you to start it? Not only am I an artist, but I'm a psychoanalyst and a medical hypnotist. And in psychoanalysis, your earliest memories are considered very important. My earliest memory is making something with clay with my hands. And as I was making this little thing, uh, a little horsey or a cow or whatever it was, I was maybe four years old, and I, I was thinking to myself, this is wonderful. And it wasn't that I thought my horsey was so beautiful. It was the process of making something with my hands that I enjoyed so much. And that has really defined my entire life. I work with my hands. I create art with my hands. And someone once asked me what my most important tool was, my favorite tool, and I said, my hands. (laughs) So there's this compulsion, one might say, or drive that I have to create things that allow me to use my hands. I'm, uh, at this time, I'm a gemstone carver and high jewelry maker, but I'm also a master knitter, crocheter, um, and uh, a classical uh, marble carver as well. So art has been very important throughout my entire life as a little girl learning how to knit and sew and crochet and do all sorts of very traditional crafts like tatting and hairpin lace. Uh, If you could do it with your hands, I was eager to do it. Wow. You are quite busy with all the crafting with your hands, you know, hobbies. It sounds like you have multiple hobbies and I am just so honored to talk to you because I I think you're the first one that has just multiple crafts that you're into and it seems like you're so passionate about it. Now, let's talk about your fine jewelry. So how did you get into designing and crafting fine jewelry? Like walk us back in time. Like what was the beginning steps into getting into that specific craft? When I was a little girl, There was a wonderful craft store in my town. I was born and raised in Montana. And uh, all of the things that I've mentioned to you were, it was normal for for, uh, children to grow up being able to do things because we had, uh, it was an agrarian society and we had to know how to fix things. And while I I did live in a town, uh, everybody who surrounded us um, had ranches and farms and 
my mother had her own tool chest. Uh, so we, we had to know how to do these things. And when I was perhaps, I don't remember, maybe eight years old, I started making jewelry out of plastic, clear plastic discs and gluing fake pearls and seashells on them. And I would put a clip on it or something like that, and then I would walk around the neighborhood and sell them for, I don't know, a nickel, a dime, whatever, um, in the neighborhood. So I, I, I was aware of sparkling things and how jewelry could be beautiful and, and that people enjoyed it. And Freud supposedly said at some point that the reason that we like jewelry is because it reminds us of the sparkle in our mother's eyes when she was feeding us. So that uh, always sort of made sense to me because since the dawn of humankind, we have adorned ourselves in one way or another. And it, it just was lovely to take these beautiful shells and pearls and uh, affix them to these things so that people could wear them. And to this day, pearls are very uh, important in my high jewelry. I, I have extremely fine and unusual pearls from all around the world and freshwater pearls from the United States. So, it, it, you know, you... you it's interesting to sort of look back and see this is where it really all came from was this childhood interest um, and fascination with actually that which was beautiful to me. Right. My goodness. So it just seemed like as a little girl, like looking at something sparkly, crafting something in your hands, like so passionate about it, and it leads to who you are today. And I find that amazing and remarkable. Now, did you go to school for really accelerating your skills and like really like honing in on the craftsmanship and you know, a fine jewelry and like how to work with materials? Or did you teach this on your, like by yourself on your own? <laughs> well, most of it, I have this very vivid memory of being maybe I was somewhere in the eight-year-old range, and watching some uh, a, a plumber soldering some pipes together. And, and I found the flow of the solder to be very fascinating and the tool that he was using to heat the solder. I thought it was all really interesting. And like I say, uh, we just learned how to do things because we needed to know how to fix things. And in terms of going to school, I did attend the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Art in Philadelphia for three years. And I, I learned classic sculpture, carving, and um, that was, I would say, my most concentrated time of, of uh, studying art. But it had nothing to do at that time with making jewelry. Oh, wow. The jewelry came much, much later. Uh, every so often, I would say when I was in my 30s, uh, I would take uh, a week-long class at the 92nd Street Y. Um, and so I, I learned how to 
to do metal forming through uh, a wonderful class with Heike Seppa and um, a few other wonderful uh, teachers over at the Wild, a very, very wonderful place. But like I say, it would be maybe a week, uh, a year, because at that time uh, I was raising my two children on my own and I had gone into the food business because that was what I really knew how to do. I um, didn't really want to be a starving artist. And I knew that I could cook well, and I started selling my cakes, and uh, then I got into large-scale catering. I specialized in parties over a 1,000 people, and that was a very consuming work uh, for quite a number of years. And at the same time, I was also going to school to become a psychoanalyst. And I didn't really have time to make jewelry. I, I uh, looked at a lot of jewelry books. I, I have a very fine art collection. And finally, I, I sold my food business, which was called Montana Palace, um, and became a full-time psychoanalyst. And that's when I had a little more time to start making the jewelry, and, and again, I would take a class here or a class there. And then about 20 years ago, my um, husband died very unexpectedly, and I started going out to Alan Revere's school in San Francisco. And I took a class that was really quite pivotal with um, Bern Munsteiner. He had never taught in the United States before. And when I saw that he was teaching a class I immediately signed up for it. There were about 10 of us in that class. And it, uh, it wasn't that I learned his style, but his attitude was very important to me. And he said, find beauty in anything. Uh, if there are inclusions in the gemstone material, aren't they beautiful? Uh, and so, if you look at any of my work, you'll see that almost without exception, my work is very curvy. And Munsteiner's very famous fantasy cuts are all with straight lines. So, like I say, philosophically, he had a great influence on me, but artistically, it was something else. Oh, I'm sure. So, uh, uh, over the years, I've had the great good fortune of working with some outstanding artists. I uh, spent a, uh, a few days with Lou Wackler out in Boulder, Colorado, a master machinist, master craftsman. And uh, Lou taught me more mechanical things about gem carving and polishing. The, the polishing is a big deal, and it's not something I enjoy especially. So it was a revelation when he said to me, yes, it is very hard, and it does take an enormous amount of time. And uh, when you use the uh, sandpaper, you can only use it once. Um, and it, it, like I said, it was really a revelation about how difficult this craft is. Um, I was also very fortunate to spend a number of months in the workshop of J.W. Kearns, who was one of the world's greatest 
jewelry makers. And I then spent a few months with him and his wife in Bangkok that really was quite extraordinary, watching how things were made in his shop. Uh, his his uh, craftsmanship was as high as, as any in the entire world. So I was really very fortunate to have that experience. And then um, I just got into carving on my own and polishing. I do 100% of the work on my carvings. Um, and in terms of the jewelry, I do almost all of the work in creating the settings, but I do not do the setting of the small stones because that's like retinal surgery. It's a thing unto itself. And uh, I let my wonderful expert, um, Joseph Klein, take care of that. So th this is kind of a skeleton of how I got to where I am today. Wow, that's a lot. And, you know, after reading some of your background on your travels, and you, and you expressed some of that um, earlier, um, it seems like you are a collector of all different types of gems and pearls and, and materials of all sorts to include in your fine jewelry. What has been your favorite gem thus far in, in working with as a part of your jewelry? You know, they say you're not supposed to ask somebody which is their favorite child. Oh, no. Huh. <laughs> That's a hard question. Huh? <laughs> Oops, my bad. <laughs> I, 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 I love to work with two gems that are considered to be very difficult gems. I love to work with any form of barrel, including aquamarine or uh, heliodor. Uh, and I love to work with topaz, which is another very difficult material to work with. Most people who carve, carve quartz or a form of quartz. Um, I, I, I like carving quartz, but I don't like to polish it. But the aquamarine and the topaz, they're a much harder material, and I find that polishing them is uh, much easier. Uh, I have spoken with some other very serious carvers, and um, we uh, generally agree that you have to put yourself into uh, almost a, a spiritual state when you approach a large carving that has a lot of acreage to it, because it's going to take a long time. It takes me for my competition pieces, maybe as m much as 400 or 500 hours to complete it. Wow. So That's a long time. It, it's, it's quite a commitment to whatever the material is. I enjoy carving opal, but um, uh, sometimes the non-fiery opal is what I enjoy carving. Interesting. Uh, you know, it's all wonderful. <laughs> I love hearing that. And now this leads me to the Big Reveal project that um, you've been continually working on in partnership with the Main Gem and Mineral Museum and their staff there. So what excited you about this project? How did you get involved? Gary Katzenbach is a very dear person. And he encouraged me to send in the application. And both of us did receive 
um, the stones, and his was carved, and mine was this emerald cut. And he he does nothing uh, with curvy lines, and I do nothing with straight lines. <laughs> and Maggie said that we couldn't trade. So it became a challenge for me, uh, quite seriously. What was I going to do with this uh, large, fabulous, uh, green tourmaline emerald cut? And what I finally did is I, I said, this is, this is my style. They liked my style. And so I fit it into uh, a bunch of curves. I don't know how much I should talk about it right now. Um, oh, no, you can talk it, about it. it. <laughs> oh, okay, very good. These are waves. I, I, I'm, even though I was born and raised in the mountains, I would rather be on the ocean. And for me, the most perfect place to be is on a boat in the ocean. So many if not almost all of my pieces have these wave-like feelings, water flowing, that kind of thing. So I created this ring with the green tourmaline in it, and I surrounded it with yellow, 18-karat uh, yellow gold, and then these waves have different colors of tourmaline, green and pink, um, and there are a few diamonds on it. And I think of it as sort of Neptune's treasure tourmaline because it's coming out of the water. It's a very unusual setting. It's coming out of the water, out of the waves. Here's Neptune's gift in this uh, treasured tourmaline. Wow, that is amazing. And what was it like working with the material? I know you kind of touched on it. It didn't it didn't have any curves to it. It was pretty straight. And but like were there other challenges that w came up during the process when you made this piece? Yeah, I didn't like the setting the first time around. So right. I took it apart and completely redid it. So it took it took me a long time because uh, like I say, I I I don't normally set a uh uh a rectangle and, and I, I wanted it to look like it was really emerging from the water. Right. So that must so have taken a while. Was a challenge. Yeah. I it, can it, it did. It took, yeah, it, it wasn't done overnight. That's for sure. <laughs> and what makes this, this specific piece special to you? I wanted it to be really nice and unusual. Because I think that what the museum is doing is wonderful, and I wanted to support it in the best way that I thought I could, by making something that someone would love and, during the auction, be willing to part with a very large sum of money to support the museum. That's awesome. And so this also leads me to, where do you uh, produce, design, you know, your uh, your your pieces. Um, tell us about. You said you have a studio in New York City. I do, but at the end of September, I'm moving out to Monterey, California, and I'm creating a new studio out there. Um, it's, wow! Uh, it's just uh, my my older daughter is in the military, and she's been transferred with her family out to Monterey and given the way that I feel about 
living near the water, our new house is going to have a full view of the ocean. And I thought this is going to be a two-year assignment. It's going to be a two-year vacation from New York. And uh, uh, who could say no to that? <laughs> so uh, I hope by the middle or the end of uh, October, I'll have this new studio. And I'm looking forward to carving and creating ocean-inspired gems again. That'll be amazing. I can't wait to see it. Now, are there any um, pieces that come to mind that you've done in the past that really, like, truly speak to you? Like, was it your very first piece when you first started getting into this? Was it a custom piece you did for somebody? Um, I'm just curious. Because I did not quit my day job, I've been very fortunate in continuing to make pieces that I enjoy myself. Uh, I would say that the most important pieces were those that I just kind of kept at it. Uh, it the I have a, a white opal. It's Turkish opal. It doesn't have any play of fire in it. But I, I looked at that one day and I said to myself, you know, I, I have no idea how I made that. How did I make those? Puppy areas. How did I make those scoops? I was really in a state of wonder, I would say, uh, uh, as I was creating that. So that that was a very wonderful piece to make, and, and it won uh, one of my AGTA awards. Uh, I, I've won twenty three AGTA awards, and I think one of the things that the judges like about my work is that the carving is. Mm, unusual. Uh, my blue topaz river wind. That's one of my very favorite pieces. It twists around the the whole style of it is extremely unusual. Uh, on the other hand, my pearl, natural pearl brooch, queen of the sea, has never won an award. And wow. it's one of my very, very favorite pieces. Uh, I think that it's quite, quite unusual, and it was inspired by a book that I purchased many years ago from the Monterey Aquarium uh, on uh, jellyfish. So I, I started off thinking that I was going to make a jellyfish, and then it became the queen of the sea because I saw she needed a crown. This pearl was so unusual, and so that that pleases me greatly. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, um, th this is, being an artist is not easy because most artists are very critical. And to say that something pleases you that you've made yourself, it's a big deal. Now, I'd like to tell you about my Tanzanite carving. Sure. I have carved what is probably the world's largest Tanzanite, wow. and uh, Tanzanite carving, and uh, Le Bleu, and I was invited by the mine, uh, Tanzanite One, which was operating at that time, to come to Tanzania and pick out a crystal to carve, and they said, while you're out here, would you mind doing some humanitarian work, and I said, 
oh, I would love to do that. So I went to Tanzania and I taught a group of Maasai women how to wire rounds, low-grade tanzanite, which they were entitled to pick uh, from any of the land there because tanzanite is found on their ancestral lands. So I knew that, that they would be very interested and capable because they do incredibly beautiful beadwork. And they took to it like ducks to water. It was, it was quite a marvelous experience. When I was out there, I saw that no one was wearing eyeglasses. I could see that they had a lot of eye disease. So this tanzanite carving, the profits from the sale of, of this carving are dedicated to eye care for the Maasai. So I'm very eager to sell it. I hope that uh, the next couple of uh, museum shows that I have that I will be able to sell it. And I have people lined up who will go to Tanzania and help these wonderful, wonderful nomadic ancient people uh, with their eye problems. Wow. Thank you for doing that. I mean, to put your craft towards a humanitarian, you know, you know, issue, really. I mean, gosh, I've never been to Tanzania. And just learning that, I'm like, wow. I mean, who knew? I had no idea. And I hope that you do sell that piece too, because it, it is sure. a, that's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it good is. for you. It's a, it's a very big deal. Yeah. yeah. Sooner or later, it'll happen. And yeah. then um, they will have eyeglasses and their cataracts and other eye diseases will be taken care of. Wow. Well, hopefully everyone that's listening can look at this lovely piece and um, and get to know it. And I, I'm sure they love hearing about the humanitarian piece as well. So good for you in recognizing that. I love it that artists Thank and craftsmen you. and women give back because you have to. And, you know, this sort of leads me into really my closing question is, I'm all about connecting people with where they live and where they really grew their businesses and even where they started it. And I know you've traveled all over the place from Montana to Tanzania to Madagascar to Arkansas, and you've been just finding so many materials and gems to work with. And now you're in New York City and you're about to go to California, but it feels like, and it sounds like you've spent a lot of your time in New York City and growing your business. So why did you stay there? I mean, did it help you at all and with your brand? Um, did you connect with the Pacific community there? Why New York City? That's a very long story. I've been in New York for 50 years. So uh, my husband at, uh, got a job here and I moved with him. And when we uh, separated, uh, I started a food business, but it's, it's, it's really such a long story. Uh, I, I'll just go to the I, I'm a culture vulture, and I live within walking distance of Lincoln Center. My last day in New York, I'm leading on a high note. Uh, pardon the pun. I will be going to the opera, listening to Sandra Radvanowski. I'm a groupie. And uh, so the music, the, the uh, Metropolitan um, Museum of Art, uh, uh, these are, are uh, the Metropolitan Opera, the Philharmonic, Carnegie Hall. 
These are places that have been incredibly important to me. And in terms of my contacts here, through James Kearns, I, I fell into a culture of high jewelry that really, I, 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 it was just an extraordinary stroke of luck that I met Jim and met setters who were, and jewelers who were the best in the world, uh, literally. And I, I've just become a part of the community here. I've been very, very involved in the New York Mineralogical Club, which is the largest and, and uh, had been before COVID, the most active club in the United States. Uh, the club is very dear to me. So um, I, I'm thinking of leaving New York in terms of a vacation for two years. And I'll see what happens after that. But I am very honored to be a member of the American Jewelry Design Council. And many, many of these members are on the West Coast. And I have a lot of family on the West Coast. So I'm very much looking forward to being active with them. And it's going to be, like I say, a, a, a different adventure. And I love having adventures. I like to keep moving. Uh, I, I love traveling around the world. And that's really the way that I look at the next two years. We'll see what happens. I'm very proud to say that in, in um, approximately one year, I will be having a very important show in Idar Oberstein at the Deutsches Edelstein Museum. It's a very honoring experience. So I'll be traveling hither and thither, and we'll see what happens after that. But I have met, I have friends all over the world. This is a wonderful thing for me to say. I'm a girl who grew up in Montana near the mines. How far can you go? I have traveled all over the place. So I'm going to be meeting new, new people, working in new shops, having wonderful new adventures. Uh, I'm, I'm seriously looking forward to my future. That's amazing. Congratulations on your success and your continued growth. It's amazing you, you really showcased your pieces in various museums across the country and the world. And you're right. I mean, you you grew up in Montana and you've traveled and done so many things. And that's what my podcast is all about and sharing stories of people like yourself and showing that growth and potential and where people can go when crafting something with their hands. So thank you so much, Naomi, yes. for being on this podcast. I mean, this makes me feel so good inside just to know of all the stuff that you've done. And I hope others that listen to this will be just as inspired and getting their hands dirty and doing something fun. So thank you. Thank you so I, much. I hope so. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into the Makers of the USA main series. And thank you to Naomi for being on the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about her craft and see her lovely pieces, I will link her website and social media handles in the notes section of the podcast. Also, if you would like to attend the October 8th Big Reveal event, I will link the registration website in the notes section as well. Also, please follow the Makers of the USA on Instagram and Facebook if you'd like to see visuals of these wonderful makers that are part of this series. If you have enjoyed this podcast series thus far, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Facebook. Thank you all again and stay safe and healthy.